Hello, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Our mission in this world is clear. We're here to love God and love people. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And, and here's why. Just preparing a sermon during the week, you realize how challenging it is. And here's a man who does it every week, and every week he has to go in and remember what he said the week before and the week before so he doesn't tell the same joke over and over again. I mean... I spoke at the vintage thing a week ago, and I'm sitting here thinking, did I tell that joke? Did I say that? So, so just, just, just praise to this guy for, for the amount of effort he puts in and does in there. So give me a guy. Now, that may or may not be said, so that I might take a shot at him later on in the service, but just so you know. Um, how was everyone's Christmas? Was it good? Yeah. Yeah, um, so there was a Sunday school class, and, and there's a little boy in the back of the Sunday school class, and the teacher asked the class and said, so, so, uh, what is Christmas really about? And a little girl in front of the class said, Christmas is about Jesus and, and about his love. Somebody else said, well, Christmas is about family, and it's about fun. And this little boy in the back went, Christmas is about sportsmanship. And the teacher stopped and looked at him and said, what do you mean? And the little boy looked at him and said, well, because you don't always get what you want. Do you feel life is like that? I mean, that's the way life comes out sometimes. And I think for everybody, sooner or later, you realize that you don't always get what you want. Things don't always work out the way that you planned. And I think that says something to everybody. I hope, I hope that resonates tonight. The movie we just saw a piece of, um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That's, an, that's a perfect example. That's, that's seen as one of the most inspirational movies of all time. And yet it was a box office flop. In 1947, when it came out, it cost $6.3 million to make, which is a lot of money at that point in time, and they expected it to do really, really well. It got six Academy Award nominations, and it didn't win any of them, except for one for a, a, something to do with how they made snow. Um, it cost, it cost $6.3 million, and they made $5.8 million. It was an absolute flop, and yet people look on this as the, one of the best movies of all time. Things don't happen the way that we expect them to happen for a lot of reasons. And I kind of want to start with that tonight, this morning. Let's pray. Father God, be here. You speak. May we listen. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Um, the Apostle Paul is actually a really good example of that because here's a guy who lived his entire life in a struggle. When he was younger, he actually wanted to be a high priest. He couldn't because he wasn't part of the priestly line, so he wanted to be as close to that as possible. And He became an incredible Pharisee and went out and did a whole bunch of things for the Pharisee uh, uh, group there. It's called a cult, but not what we think of. But this, this group of people, he's trying to be the best Pharisee he can be. He actually studied under Gamaliel and who was the high priest at the time. Here's a guy who's just trying to do the best. And then God intervenes and basically takes Paul and puts him in an entirely different world. So Paul starts over and he tries again and he starts to, to figure things out and do what he's supposed to do. And he uses that same zeal and that, that, that desire to, to know God and preach the gospel. Well, things didn't quite work out for him there either. Um, so... Paul goes to different places, and he tries to start churches, and he does a good job in some places, but one of the, the hardest ones he went to was a church in Ephesus. And it wasn't one that he started, it was already existing, but he goes there and he meets these people, and they're great people. 
But Ephesus was a unique town. It was one that was very, very Roman. It was very Greek. So people that were there were Gentile and very unknowledgeable in all things that had to do with Judaism and uh, had to do with Christianity. So this small church starts and it's doing well and people are starting to see that there's something that, that is real in Christianity. Well, Paul gets there and it kind of explodes because he's walking around talking to people and he's evangelizing. Well, this, you can see the story in Acts 19, but what ends up happening is Paul makes an impact on the city so strong that the people in the city want to kill him. Because one of the things about Ephesus was they had this huge temple called, the, it was the Temple of Artemis. And in this temple, they worshipped a goddess by putting these little statues out of silver, and people would buy these silver. And the silversmiths would make these things. They would buy these statues, and then they were idols. They'd worship the idols. Well, Paul was having such an effect on this city that these people, the silversmiths who were there, got together and started a riot, and they wanted to kill Paul. Paul, being Paul, wanted to go out and talk to him and calm him down, and even the governors of the city pulled him aside and said, no, you're not going to do that. We like you. We want you to live. So it kind of forced Paul out of town. So for Paul, this was one of his biggest mistakes. This is one of his biggest failures. Paul was the kind of guy who, who didn't like failure. He didn't like to feel that way. So he wanted to go back, but he couldn't. So he wrote the book of Ephesus when he heard what was going on in this city. Well, by the time frame that Paul was there and the time frame that he wrote the letter, a lot of things had changed. There were some Jews that had moved to the city because they had moved from Israel looking for fame, fortune, life, etc. And when they got there, they saw what was going on in the church and they actually became Christians and followers of Christ. But they also had all that background in Judaism, so they understood the law. And the Gentiles who were, who were there didn't understand it as well. So all of a sudden there's this cultural divide. There's almost like there's two parties. Can you, can you relate to that in today's world? There seems to be like two parties fighting each other over the same thing. And in a church, that's a horrible thing because it caused division. So Paul wanted to work with that. And he wanted to deal with the problems that were going on in the church. Well, it didn't quite work out as everyone planned because he writes this letter and it has an effect. But the real challenge that, that, that these people are having is it had to do with expectation. The, the, the Jews expected the Gentiles to act a certain way. The Gentiles expected the Jews to act a certain way. And, and, and that never really works out. Expectation is always one of those things that causes us challenges in this world. So there was a little boy. All my jokes are about little boys. That was one once. So this little boy, he's in, he, he, he's in school. He's in a math class. And he's not doing all that well on a test. And the teacher sees it and walks over. She sees multiple wrong answers. And she just looks at him and marks one wrong, marks another wrong, marks another wrong, looks at him and says, you know, Johnny, Johnny, you're really turning out to be an overachiever. Johnny looks up and says, no, I'm not. You're an overexpector. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> they don't get much better than that. <laughs> so, you guys ever have expectations about things? You ever, you ever put your expectations on things like, I don't know, life, others, family, friends? So, 50, 60 years ago, there was a man who, who took a, a, an ocean um, cruise, and he got there 
late and he didn't get the right accommodations and he, he got stuck in a room with another person. And he, he, he walked in and he started to set his stuff in there and the other guy was already in there and the other guy looked at him and walked out of the room. So he sets his stuff up and, and started thinking this guy didn't look all that savory. Started thinking this guy might, might not be the best person to be around. So he picked up his, his, uh, his watch and his wallet and his valuables and he put them into his pocket and he walked back out of there and walked up to the purser's desk and, and said to the guy, so I don't normally do this kind of thing on cruises, but I, I, I kind of want to keep myself safe. safe. And the, the guy in my room, I don't know if I trust him. So can you put all this in the safe, the, the, the ship safe? And the purser looked at him and said, yep, no problem. Don't worry about it. I'll be glad to do it. As a matter of fact, the guy in your room was just here. He said the same thing. <laughs> it's all about expectations in life and what we put into life and that that's what changes whether or not we, we, we find this fulfillment that we're looking for. We all carry baggage with us, baggage of our past, and that has such an effect on us. No matter what we do, we're going to carry that baggage with us somehow. The problem is whether we're looking into it. I mean, I've got to carry the baggage of my past with me, but I don't got to keep looking into it because the reality is every time I look into it, nothing changes unless I put something new into it. The past doesn't have to haunt us. The people in the church that in Ephesus had that problem. They were looking at their past and trying to figure out their present. The Jews were looking at their past life in Judaism. The Gentiles were looking at their past life in pagan worship. And they were trying to figure out what to do and how to worship God and how to know life as it was. Expectation and trying to look at our past is a bad way to live life. I have a friend who uh, uh, calls me every now and then and tells me how great their church is. They're doing great. The church is wonderful. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the best. Then they call me later and say, yeah, there's something happened to the church that they didn't, uh, uh, they didn't like what was, was said in the sermon. A person said something they didn't like. Whatever it was, they just tell me it wasn't a great thing. Well, invariably later they call me and say the new church they're going to is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and then after that, Something happened at that church. And then after that, they call me again and say, yeah, the newest church they're going to is the greatest church in the world. And, and I, I, I have to think this is a huge problem in today's Christendom, by the way. I mean, people church hop all the time, and it's just not a good thing. Because in reality, if we go to one place, and there's a problem, and we go to another place, and there's the same problem, and then we go to another place, and there's the same problem, <laughs> the common denominator is us, <laughs> not the church. Yet, that's what these people were, were, were feeling. That's what these people were thinking. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke 6.43. Guys, if you can bring the Bibles down. If you don't have a Bible, count this as a gift from us to you. Um, we firmly believe in the Bible at this church, and we want people to be in it all the time. So Luke 6.43. Jesus is speaking, he says, uh, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes, bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of his, that are stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings out evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if 
if what comes out of me is what I've put into me, then why does my life turn out not the way that I expect it to be? When we accept Christ, the Spirit pours into us. And it wipes out all that sin that's inside of us, all that nasty stuff and all that negative stuff that's in us. But somehow <laughs> it hangs around us, keep trying, keep, keeps trying to get back in. And all too often we let it. Sorry. You know, it's kind of funny when you look at your notes and you realize that you, you, you wrote the wrong thing down. Um, go ahead and turn to uh, Ephesians 3, because that's what Paul was trying to deal with, was people were, had this, these, these negative expectations toward each other, and they were looking at the wrong things. And what was coming outside of them was what was changing what was going on in the church. So he tried to get them to, to realize that life is what he wanted them to have. Um, Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14, we'll start with. Um, okay, so Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power from his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to immeasurably do more than all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is in us and works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. See, the toughest part about that is, is Paul's trying to tell them, we are one family, we are one thing together, and people jump from there and go to the past and say, wait a minute, God wants to do incredible things for me? That's what life is about, God giving me stuff? People jump to the reward and miss the value of the, of the journey. I don't know if you guys heard about this, there was a reporter in Spain this week and uh, she actually won the lottery. And she was on air when she realized she won the lottery. And it was her job to read the lottery numbers. So she's up here and she's, she's reading the lottery numbers and as she reads it, she realizes, wait a minute, that's my lottery number. And it was $4.6 million. So she freaks out and she's jumping up and down and she pulls out her lottery ticket and checks it and says, yes, I just won the lottery and guess what? I'm not coming into work tomorrow. She makes this public statement. She's quitting. She's done. She's happy. She's freaking out. She's loving everything. And then she realized, after a while, that she wasn't the only one that won the lottery. And according to the rules in Spain in the lottery, they degrade the prize based on the number of people that win it. So she ended up winning $5,500. See, she jumped to the end before she saw what was actually happening. It's too easy to do that in today's world. It's too easy to focus on what we want to see rather than what is actually real. Uh, go ahead and turn to John 10. So Christ is, is, is uh, 
talking to a group of people and trying to get them to understand a lot, and they're not getting it. So uh, John 10, we'll start in verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. If what we're looking for is abundant life, I have two questions. One, my question is, what is an abundant life? What's the right way to understand that? And two, a little bit more importantly here, what's that got to do with sheep? So, so Rob talked about being shepherds when he, we did our last series on, uh, on uh, uh, the names of God, because one of them is shepherd. Okay, so he talked about being a shepherd, but it, I got a really cool image um, when I was researching this week about this. Um, there was a, um, a theologian, his name was George Smith, who during the 1800s traveled to the Middle East because he wanted to understand culture and he wanted to understand things that he could see and touch that were in the Bible. And as he was going, he looked and saw a shepherd who was out tending a sheep. And he goes and he talks to the shepherd and he says, I, I, you know, I'm from Scotland and I know how they do shepherding in Scotland, but I don't see any pens. I don't see anything around here. I just see a bunch of sheep. And the shepherd says, yeah, that's how we do it. He says, but, but where do you put them at night? How do you keep them safe? And the shepherd points to a little alcove that was cut out of the mountain that just had an opening that they could go into but there was no gate on or anything that would stop them from coming back out. And the, the, uh, George uh, Smith says to him, it's like, well, how does that happen? I mean, the, these, the sheep, how do, they, how do they stay in there? And the shepherd says, I am the gate. I lay there. And the sheep feel protected, knowing that I'm there. And the predators from the outside, they know not to come in because they know that I'm there. The sheep are able, sheep are able to have an abundant life because the shepherd is protecting them all the time. Is, is that what we think about when we think of abundant life? Most people think of abundant life and think of money. Please don't raise your hand, but is that what you think about? John, put your hand down. Um, so one television preacher, who shall remain nameless, who has brown curly hair in a mega church in Texas, and he has like $40,000 worth of teeth. <laughs> but I won't mention his name. Okay, I looked on his website, and I think they kicked me off his website, but um, this is what he wrote. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could ever imagine. Think about that for a moment. God wants to take you far and beyond what you have ever dreamed. He wants to accelerate you this year, which means he can bring you into opportunities that will boggle your mind. He can make your career take off like a rocket. He can cause you to meet the right people who will help you further your dreams. He can launch you forward more quickly than you could ever have imagined. He can bring you out of debt and cause you to pay the house off even though it looked impossible. Okay, so he's actually quoting Ephesians 320 here, what we just read earlier about, about living, uh, living an abundant life. And he somehow thinks that the line that Paul was talking about is talking about money. 
Okay, the writer, Paul himself, living an abundant life included for him being whipped five times like Christ was, being beaten with rods, being shipwrecked, being stoned, being locked up for years without any due process, and then being executed. And for someone to somehow think that that's something to do with finances misses the point entirely. Now, I'm going to be honest about this. You know, we're human beings. We want the easy answer. We want the simple answer. Give me the button to push and, and I get what I want. So I'll tell you, if you want to become rich, I'll let you know how to do it. First of all, get up early and get into work early every day. Okay? Then, stay later than everybody else at work every day. And then, win the lottery. <laughs> there is no simple, easy answer. That's the problem. We want something that's simple. It, it's human nature, but it's not... It doesn't really work that way. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm going to tell you that if we allow ourselves to be changed by Christ it is probably going to benefit you financially. Just, that's just the reality of it. Because here's what's going to happen. You are going to go to work and be there on time. Because that's what Christ would do. And you're going to do your job well. Because that's what Christ would do. And you're going to go the extra effort and go the extra mile and, and do things that other people at your job won't do. Because that's what Christ would do. And because of that, there will probably be opportunities for you to be promoted. And you'll probably get raises because of that. But... It's not God saying, boom, you get more money. It's us actually working harder because we are followers of Christ. And that's how it happens. It's not a reward because we know Christ. It's the outcome because who we are in Christ. Does that make sense? You're all nodding good. I can't see you, by the way. It's, it's talking. Um, I got to admit, I had a real problem with this sermon. And... It, because it kept coming back to this whole thing that's called the prosperity gospel. And when you're talking about abundant life, people think prosperity gospel. And it kept coming back to that. And it has nothing to do with that. And boiling down this idea of an abundant life to some kind of financial gain is, is it's an abomination. That is not it. Um, that's a lie. And any preacher who tells you other than that is, is, is lying to you. So we went to Kenya last year, and the, the group that I took, they were amazing. They did some amazing things. And one day we, we went out and did these things called home visits, and we went to different places, and we walked into people's homes and sat down with them and talked to them. And that sounds nice, like a nice home visit, okay? But think of something along the lines of, well, uh, I, Rob would say the people in Journey would be able to understand this better, but I'm going to say a prison cell. Okay, so think of something maybe about this wide, okay, and maybe from here to here, and four people live in that, okay, and so we walked in, we sat down, and, and they had these two couches on the side, and Dave Molina and I went into one of them, and we, these two couches on the side, and we, we sat down on them, and then in the, the back here was a, a curtain, because the, the, the parents slept there, and the kids slept here, put the curtain up for some privacy for all of them. And uh, we, when we walked in, the husband was there, the wife was out at a Bible study. And the husband was sitting there taking care of the kids, and we talked to him, and he told us about his life and about his story and about what had happened and, and, and to get him where he was. And 
he was a criminal at one point in time, and then he actually became a Christian because God had delivered him from something, and, and he was going to know God, and he started doing well and started trying to live a life right, and then one of his children died in a horrific accident. And you could tell this man was broken. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to him for 30 minutes, and the, his eyes are empty. They're vacant. He's holding on to his two kids because he doesn't want to let them go. Sorry. His wife was at a Bible study for an abundant life church, a prosperity gospel church, because someone had told him that was going to fix the problem. So his wife is trying to figure this out by learning something that has nothing to do with reality. And he's sitting there trying to figure out life for himself. We miss the point entirely if we're going towards, some, towards something that has nothing to do with it. I hope I don't cry every sermon I do this. Way. Some people think that Abundant life is about money. Some people think that abundant life is about filling it full of stuff. Um, I flipped a house a couple years ago with uh, uh, Jim Cordell and uh, Steve Havel, and we bought the house in West Hills. We got a great deal on it because it was just torn to shreds. And a couple lived in it that were, they were hoarders. And they had been saving everything their entire life and trying to build this their, their dream life together and as they got older it just got messier and messier and messier and they had all kinds of stuff everywhere that was precious to them and as they got older they even forgot what it was there were books all over the place that were filthy and disgusting and just terrible and in terrible condition there were things, precious trophies they'd had that were broken there were, this house was in horrible condition so we bought it for nothing comparatively and then we took huge trash bins and took it there and gutted the house just taking stuff out in wheelbarrows and throwing it in the trash so what these people had saved their entire life for to give them an abundant life was just thrown away because it was worthless focusing on the wrong things is not an abundant life some people think an abundant life is becoming a, 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 a bible scholar and walking around and telling everybody else how to live their lives somehow bringing social justice into it and, and making sure that we are the ones who make sure everybody knows what's right and we use the Bible to tell them, no, you're supposed to do this. Back to that whole two-party thing. People want to pick a side and say, this is the right thing to do. Go on social media and tell everybody what the right thing is. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but I, I guarantee you if, if what you're doing is pouring out your political beliefs on social media, what's really happening is everybody is unfollowing you. Because nobody really cares about that kind of stuff. And, and if, we're, if we're missing that point entirely, we're missing something that God wants from us. We're missing something he wants to do for us. Because if we really think that Christianity is about making America great again, we've missed the point entirely. Christianity is about so much more than that. If we're living our lives in a way that people see 
all this negative stuff that we're putting out there, what are they going to remember us for? Some people remember Mel Gibson because he, he, he put out the movie uh, uh, Passion of the Christ. And they go, it's a great movie, etc. and that Mel Gibson did that. Most people remember Mel Gibson because of a drunken tirade that was a bunch of racist comments he made. Which one, which one will people remember more? I'm going to bet they're going to remember the drunken tirade and the racist comments because that had a greater impact. That's the same thing that happens when all we do is spew garbage out into the world and throw it in the name of God saying, God wants you guys to live this way. What God wants us to do is show that through our actions, not our words. That's a lot more of what living an abundant life is. See, we try and fill our lives. God wants to fulfill our lives. I love this quote from uh, Ben Scully. It says, it's a mere moment in a man's life between the all-star game and the old-timers game. I want to ask you, how are you defining an abundant life? What are you sacrificing to find that abundance? The tragedy of life is that it, not that it ends so soon, it's that most people wait so long to begin it. See, we'll never be able to go back in the past and recapture things. We need to continually moving forward. We need to stop thinking that the past has the answers for us. Um, I did a, a funeral a while back for uh, a couple, and I had never met them before. The funeral home actually arranged it, and I talked to one of the daughters of this woman who had passed away on the phone, and she told me a little bit about their family and what they'd done, and it's enough to do the funeral, and I'd taken my notes, and then I went the next day to the, to the graveside to do the funeral, and I met her and her sisters, and when I got there, they said, now, there might be a little bit of a challenge also with the funeral today, because um, uh, our father's going to be here, and he and um, their mother had split 25 years earlier, um, but he's been around, and he's an alcoholic. And then they said, and our brother's probably going to be here too, and he's a drug addict, and he might cause issues. And I'm going, okay, this is going to be a very interesting funeral then, because I don't know what to expect. So as I'm doing this, the father comes in, sits down, and he brought a date. And he's, as we're going through the stuff, he starts crying and wailing, and goes over to the urn, and he is just spouting out how this is the most incredible woman in the world that he, he, he's loved through all eternity and she's so beautiful. And I'm looking over at his date and I'm thinking, I, I don't know, I don't even know what to say about this. You know? And then he gets up and goes and then they, they, they go over and they take the urn and they want to put it down into the ground now. And these are the ones who, people who work for the, the funeral service. And they're putting it down there and the sun shows up and he's stoned. And he's trying to find some kind of value and he's in tears and he looks and he sees the urn and he pushes them out of the way and he feels that by putting it down on the ground he's doing something. And all I could think about was looking at him and going, kid, it's too late. Why do we start so late trying to find abundance in our lives? Why do we look into the past instead of dealing with the present? Unfortunately, that's human nature too, but it's not what God wants for us. The past affects us all, and we can choose how we respond to it. Um, I don't know if you guys know who he is, George St. Pierre. He's uh, probably one of the best martial artists, um, uh, UFC fighters ever. Um, this guy's, he's, in the last 10 years, he fought seven times, he never lost. Um, he's, he's a brilliant tactician. Well, he was driving in his car, and 
he, I heard him tell the story in an interview, and he's driving his car, and he looked and saw a homeless man when he hit a stop sign, and the homeless man started to walk over to his car to ask for some money, and he walked over, and he looked, and he saw it was George St. Pierre, and he kind of freaked out, and he started to step back, and George St. Pierre looks up and sees him, and he understood why he freaked out. This was a guy who had grown up with him and was a bully to George St. Pierre when he was a kid, and he's looking up at him, and the guy steps back, and he starts to step away and goes back to, to where he was, and uh, George pulls his car over real quick and walks over to him. As he walks over to him, this guy is freaking out because he treated him horribly when they were kids. And George, you never think about this. He's telling you all these thoughts are going through his head. He walks over to him. He looks at him and says, hey, it's me, George. The guy says, I know you are. He says, what happened? Why are you here on the streets? And the guy kind of relaxed a little bit and had a conversation. And, and because George St. Pierre is being so loving and forgiving toward this, he reached in his pocket and pulled out all the cash he had and said, here, man, I hope you do well. You're better than this. You can do better. Two weeks later, he got a call from his dad. Apparently, the guy had went to his house to tell him, thank you. And he had gotten a job and he started to get off the street. So, so something about how we deal with the past changes the present and can affect the future and can be beneficial for all people. That's what God wants from us. That's how God wants us to go around and deal with things. That's where abundant life comes from, is not letting the past hurt us, taking the present and running with it to do what God wants. That, that whole expectation thing, that whole missing the point thing, that's real, it happens, but, but we can figure it out. Rob and I went to a... a, a, a pastor's conference a, a few weeks back and um, we sat down it was a lunch and we're sitting down uh, next to each other and we food was being served and we're waiting here watching for them to pray and the keynote speaker comes up and he says you know let's have one of the pastors pray here and he picks out someone and says why don't you come up and pray and Rob looks over and he sees the guy and goes yeah I went to school with him I know the guy and I went oh, okay so the guy goes up and, and the keynote speaker said to him um, why don't you just pray the Lord's Prayer Rob looks over at him and he says, starts smiling. He goes, I bet he doesn't know it. And I'm looking, I'm looking over at Rob and I'm going, really? Yeah, come on, of course he knows it. Rob says, uh-uh, I'll bet you 20 bucks. He doesn't know it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the guy gets up and he's kind of nervous. And he stands there and he goes, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I'm honestly sitting here thinking, I just got punked. <laughs> this is crazy. They set this up ahead of time, and I look over at Rob, and he's shaking his head. He said, I know, I know. It's terrible. Then he reached into his pocket, pulled out a 20, handed it to me, and said, I didn't think he knew it. expectations, how we see things, all of that stuff stops us from having the abundant life that God wants us to have. If we do not see what God has for us, we're never going to have the abundant life he wants. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 because this is what Paul's response was to these people. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ's image to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's an abundant life. Accepting the grace of God in us and letting us change us to where we go out and change the world. What God is asking from each one of us is to go out and find ways to spread the gospel. And it isn't through telling people what to do, it's showing them what to do by living a life that's glorifying to God. If we want abundance in our lives, it's all about connecting with the creator and letting him have us be who he wants us to be. All we need to do is look at ourselves, humble ourselves, trust in God, follow him, and I guarantee you'll have life in abundance that will never stop. George Bailey figured it out at the end because an angel walked up to him and had a conversation. I'm going to say that God did a better job explaining abundant life to us because he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could live. That is true abundance. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Lord, you are who we want to know. You're who we want to rely on. You're who we want to trust. Thank you, Lord. In your name. Remember, Lord, your tender mercies and your love. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. And your love that you've always shown. Forget all my rebellions that you've always